Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. Let's just uh, pray just again to begin. Jesus, I thank you that you are close to us and we just take this moment right now and we just slow right down and we just think on your promise you made when you said you'd never leave us or forsake us that you'd never relax your hold on us and you'd never give up on us that right now each one of us are held by you not from a distance not with some kind of mechanical machine but by you and Jesus I just ask that you you would help each one of us become more aware of your closeness with us that as we turn to your scriptures and we turn to your word that we would receive that from you we receive that which is from you as you are with us in closeness and intimacy in Jesus name Amen so um, we are continuing on with our silence and solitude rule of life practice so we have um, had two out of the four parts of this series so far. I kicked it off a couple of weeks ago talking about what we were meant when we talked about silence and solitude and how we can practice this and some of the possible challenges that um, face us on that journey of trying to practice that practice. So then talked about last week about how as we do this thing often we find ourselves encountering ourself and all the stuff that kind of sits on the inside of us that when we stop and we are silent and on our own that all that stuff kind of just catches up and that's okay because that's part of what um, is meant to happen as we practice this practice and I think it for me as I think I've talked about before this is perhaps one of the most challenging practices of um, all the spiritual disciplines we can talk about I find it much easier to fast and give up food than I do to practice silence Um, I find it a lot easier to read my scriptures um, than I do to practice this. I find it much easier to pray than I do to practice this. They are more straightforward for me and I think part of that is because those things are good and they're important and they're they're vital as part of our rule of life, our trellis that helps us abide in, in Christ. But those things involve me doing something and there's much more of an instinctive kinship to doing something that helps me feel like I'm growing spiritually or deepening my spirituality or becoming close to Jesus than there is when I have to stop and do nothing, which silence and solitude requires me to do. And the idea of doing that each day as a practice 
is, is a challenge because sometimes we don't want to be silent. We don't want to be on our own because that can be a scary place. And I think Sai talked about last week, he meant, made this quite a bit blurred by the sunlight, but we'll enjoy the sunlight while it's here. Um, by entering silence and solitude, we dampen the turbulence of life enough to recognise ourselves truly and hear the transforming word of God. It stills us and lets the water so alive settle so we can see clearly. So we've got this moment where that sounds beautiful, the waters of our lives settle and we can see clearly. And that's a beautiful thing, unless what we see is not something that we're particularly proud of about ourselves or something that we try to bury in the busyness and the mayhem and the routine of life. Because then it's like, actually, I don't really know whether I want to see that thing. So I'm going to keep myself busy because by keeping myself busy and noise around me, I don't have to face up to the stuff that's spinning on the inside of me. And that can be a scary thing. And yet, if we engage intentionally with this practice, if we put time aside every day to be in silence, to be still before our God, we might face some stuff that is tough about ourselves. We might, as we're going to talk about today, face some enemy stuff in there. But in amongst all of that, we will encounter God. And in that space, we will find ourselves transformed as we realise that those things that we face about ourselves or whatever it may be are overcomable and transformable in the presence of the God who we also encounter in that same space. But it's challenging because it's so easy to rush by and move on quickly in this area. I think sometimes what can make the practice more appealing is if we land it in a space that's more familiar so we, we make it, oh, it'd be lovely to get five minutes away from the kids or it'd be lovely to get five minutes away from the mayhem of work or it'd be great to do this because it makes you more productive and it can make you more productive. But this practice of silence and solitude is not just a practice to get us away from stuff. It's not an escape from. We're not escaping from stuff. We're not escaping from busyness. We're not escaping from noise. We're not escaping from the world we are coming to ourselves to face the challenges we face to our to things that are potentially hostile to us as well in enemies in different shapes and forms and to our god we are coming to that thing we're not running away from something and therefore it becomes a really 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 significant practice because it's as intentionally deciding i'm not escaping not running away but i'm presenting myself each day, maybe it's two minutes a day, maybe it's three minutes a day, maybe it's one minute a day, maybe that's where we're at right now, and that's absolutely fine. I've tried in the last few weeks to do seven minutes a day, and that is surprisingly difficult. I almost, without fail, will get to five minutes and then look at my clock. I can almost, I'm not timed, I can almost look at it and go, oh, oh look, shockingly, it's on two minutes left, okay? It's because something in me goes, five minutes I can do, seven minutes, is, is, is tricky. Sometimes it's beautiful, it's like, oh, that was an amazing, just time with God. Sometimes it's like, I don't really want to think about that right now, God, because that, that's a hard thing to face. And I don't want to consider why that in me might need to come up and need to be dealt with. But it's always about, about five minutes. It's, it's interesting, fascinating. Um, but this practice helps us to encounter self, like Sai talks about. It's helped us to encounter our enemy and helps us to encounter our God. And it's really fascinating that when you read into this practice, the desert fathers and mothers are some of the most kind of well 
um, informed and kind of insightful people on this topic. And it's, it's fascinating because when we kind of we jump back in time and we see during um, kind of the kind of early church, when Christianity became the state religion, when Rome made it not the persecuted faith of a few, but made it this kind of the state religion that and it wasn't therefore a bad thing to be a Christian anymore, it was actually celebrated and, and encouraged and all that kind of stuff. What happened was that it started to compromise some of the kind of core beliefs of what it was to be a Christian. And so you had a group of people at that time who said, we're going to leave the Roman Empire where Christianity is professed as the Roman religion and we're going to, we're going to take ourselves to the desert places. And that, that was the desert fathers and mothers. And they... On observation, you could have looked at that and gone, well, they're escaping, Steve. They're doing the opposite of what you just said they're doing. They're escaping the kind of Roman Empire because they think it's corrupt and they think it's corrupting Christianity. They think it's corrupting their faith and they don't want to be part of that. They're escaping that and going to some isolated space to be away from it. But when you read what they were doing is they had this phrase that they weren't escaping from the world. They were escaping for the world that they saw the act of removing themselves from the corruption that was starting to overtake their Christian faith. By removing themselves from that and putting themselves in solitude and silence, they were doing that for the world. They weren't saying, we want some space, it's just ours, just quiet space for ours, not corrupt. But they were doing it because they saw the need to do that so that they could effectively see that transformed by what they were doing over here. And we live in some of the fruits of that now, whether we realise that or not. Because they didn't see the practice of silence and solitude as something that's just about rest or just stillness. A lot of the time, their paradigm for practising silence and solitude was nothing about Sabbath rest. It was entirely about spiritual warfare. And actually, when we look at the, the Bible now, especially the life of Jesus... It doesn't take long to realize that actually kind of makes sense. You think of the amount of times that Jesus went into the wilderness and faced a challenge. It was nearly all the time. The famous one is obviously in Matthew, and we'll come on to this in a bit, but in, in Matthew, or I think it's in Luke as well, Luke 4, where he goes into the wilderness and he goes for 40 days and he's tempted by the devil and he overcomes him and all that kind of stuff, but that's silence and solitude. And yet it wasn't Sabbath rest for him, it was spiritual warfare or we jump a bit ahead and we can see that in the garden of gethsemane again he went by himself and faced himself not my will but your will be done god and it's fascinating that actually this paradigm that the desert fathers and mothers had when they removed themselves from the corruption of the roman empire and put themselves in solitude they were doing that for spiritual warfare they were doing that to encounter the stuff that was coming up in them that might be attracted by some of the, the kind of positives and the, the kind of nice bits of Christianity being the Roman religion now. But also they were doing it to come against some, some spiritual stuff that might be corrupting that and affecting that and changing those kind of things. And they did it for spiritual warfare. And that, that's why this practice is not escaping from it's nothing about that. We're not escaping from, we're escaping for. We're stepping out of our busyness, our routine, our kind of, all the hectic stuff that's going on, and we're doing that for. It is for ourselves, but it's for 
the world. It's for an act of spiritual warfare to say, we're going to do something in this space, God. I'm going to bring myself to you in this space with all this other stuff that's going to come through, with all the other junk that's going to come up. I'm going to bring myself into this space for you because I believe that when I do, it changes things. And so when we do this, we will encounter all the junk that comes up through it for ourselves and we will encounter ourselves and the good bits as well. I focus on the negative because we like our positive stuff, so we don't really need to talk about that. Like I said, go and practice science and solitude, you just see all the best bits about yourself. It'd be a wonderful thing, wouldn't it? No, no one would struggle with that at all. Um, but the reality is, the, the kind of we also encounter the bits we don't like about ourselves. But also in that same space, we encounter our enemy. And when we look at the kind of description of what our enemy may be, it's not people, we know that. I shouldn't even need to mention that for us as a group, we know that. But it is. Um, kind of when you read through the scriptures it would class it as three things it would class it as the world and by that I mean the the corrupt systems of the world not people not like auntie dot that lives next door or Mabel that's across the road I don't know why they're all old women but um, we'll just <laughs> just pretend that they are um, or whatever it may be but, but the systems in the world the, the corrupt systems of the world the same things that the desert fathers and mothers saw when they kind of saw the corruption of the Roman Empire and what it was doing to their their own spirituality and faith. We also see in the scriptures the, that we encounter the flesh. That is the desires that connect us into that world system. The way that we can sometimes be kind of bent towards actually, well I kind of like the way the world works like that because it benefits me or I enjoy that, that thing. And then the devil who is the orchestrator and the one who is the prince and power of the air that, that is having an involvement in those world systems and those those desires in us that kind of pull us into that that way of thing that these three things are not distinct it's not like well today it's going to be the world tomorrow it's going to be the flesh and then it's going to be the devil they are intertwined they connect into each other the, the when way back in genesis when when the devil kind of convinced adam and eve convinced humanity to to believe him and not god that a new order a new way of working happened and entered into our system in our world and it's a new thing and that way of working that 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 system that we see that caused all the chaos with cain and abel or the tower of babel or with the kind of even the kind of patriarchal line of, of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and the madness that goes on and all that stuff. That world system kind of was coming from the devil himself. And it challenges us then not to be pulled into that by our fleshly desires. I want to, I'd like to do that. Our selfish desires. I'd like to go that way. And when we come into this space of silence and solitude, we encounter all three. We encounter the, the bits of us that's there. We encounter a world system. But we also encounter the devil. Because ultimately the goal of being alone with God is that we see where we have been compromised by that, that system and those things and we bring that to him and we say, look, this is me with all the stuff that comes with me and I want to be transformed to be more in your image and likeness. I want that, that to come through in me. And by bringing ourselves to that space, we are, effectively, the goal of it is to be alone with God in the silence so that ultimately we can hear his voice. We can hear the voice of God over all of the other voices in our head, all the other things that are spinning around, especially from the three enemies of our soul. That we come to a point and go, well, I can see how that in me is 
compromising my walk with Jesus. Or I can see how that thing I'm facing is something that I need to pray into because it's, it needs to shift. Or I can see how that particular aspect of the kingdom of darkness is affecting that life. And therefore I see that. But we hear the voice of God over all those things. And it gives us clarity. That's why we bring ourselves to that space. And we see Jesus do these three things. We see Jesus bring himself to these spaces to ultimately hear the voice of God. And perhaps the most famous one, and we kind of we kind of see him engage in the wilderness with the devil, like we talked about before in Matthew 4, we're going to look at in a moment. But we also see him in the garden facing himself and what he felt like he wanted to do. I want to go, I don't want to go this way, God. I don't want to take that cup. I don't want to go to the cross. I want to win this way instead. I want it to be this way. But that would have been a world system way. And he goes, not by, but not my will, but your will be done. Let, let's go your way, not the way that I feel in this moment like I want to go. And we see him also be kind of like this almost silent stance of going, I'm not going to engage in the system of the world. I'm refusing to engage in that. I'm just going to remain silent and remove myself. And so I want to kind of land us that we bring ourselves to this place of silence and solitude, this space of spiritual warfare, this space of facing our enemy in its various guises. And then what do we do? Because we encounter God, of course we do, but what do we do? And I think when we look at the life of Jesus, we see that he did three things. And the three things he did, then these are not in any way, shape or form like one, two, three. They just intertwine with each other. But we see him use the scriptures. We see him engage with, in the space of silence and solitude with the enemy that he encounters by using the scriptures. We see him also surrender. We see him in that space face these enemies and, sur- and surrender his instincts that might lead him a certain way and go, no, but not my will, but your will be done. And we see him be silent. And I think it's really important that we see those three things. And nice and easy to remember because they all begin with S. Scripture, silence and surrender. Um, but they intertwine. But we can see those things as tools we can engage with and tools we can use that as we face the, in, the enemies that we encounter in this space. We can use these things to kind of, as Jesus did, to, to see them overcome and see us transformed and become an expression more of the likeness and image of God. So first one would be the scriptures, really famous passage in Matthew 4. And Jesus has gone into the desert and it says that then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. That Jesus went into this space, encountered the devil, encountered the temptation. And you see in this moment, don't you, how those things all start to play in. That he encounters the devil, of course he does. He encounters his enemy. But actually in that same moment, he encounters um, the the, the, the temptation of fleshly desire. If this wasn't a genuine temptation for Jesus, it wouldn't have been real. So there was a temptation to engage in a fleshly instinct rather than a, a kind of spiritual choice. And you also see in this moment the idea of that 
if you're the Son of God, there's a challenge to actually prove himself. Prove yourself. That's a, a way of the world. Prove yourself. Show me why you're that good. Show me the, that you're the best at. Prove, prove, prove. Demonstrate, demonstrate, demonstrate who you are. So in this one moment, you kind of see that he's encountering all three of these things. The devil, the flesh, and the systems of this world. All in one moment. And his ability to overcome that is that he uses the scriptures to challenge that. He uses the scripture to challenge that moment. So actually, no, no, no. That's not the reality. It might sound convincing. It might, it might, might, might sound persuasive. But this is the truth. This is what the scripture says. This is what is written. And again, he's using that as a, as a weapon of what he encounters in that space. The next one is then surrender. And again, these are not just one or another. You could easily talk about surrender with that moment in the wilderness with the devil. Quite easily talk about how he surrendered his instincts to go after something else. But th- this is probably clearer in this passage in Matthew 26. And it's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it says, he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then it jumps a bit ahead and it says, keep watching and praying so that you will not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So you have again in this moment, Jesus is encountering in the space of silence and solitude, it's not just some kind of Zen experience of like, I'm just really peaceful right now. It's not just like Sabbath rest. He's going into silence and solitude and encountering an enemy. It's spiritual warfare. This one is probably more to do with his own fleshly instinct that God, I don't really want to. Father, I don't really want to go that way because that way hurts. That way is painful. But not my will, but your will be done. I'll go that way because that's what I want. And he surrendered his will. He, he, he surrendered himself and trusted God in that moment. And that's hard sometimes. That when we encounter stuff in that space, there can be a temptation to go, well, God, that is, just doesn't make sense. But what, what you're asking me to do doesn't make sense. I'm going to go the way I want to go. But actually we can go, no, God, I trust you. I surrender my choice and I submit it to you. Even if it doesn't make sense right now. And in that moment we are overcoming the enemy that we encounter in that space. And yet so often we can ignore the space of silence and solitude and just keep going. How many times, maybe it's just me or not anyone else, not anyone else, but it's so easy sometimes when we're making a decision that we are possibly unsure about how easy is it to just decide to not stop or slow down? Because we know if we stop or slow down, we'll have to think about the decision. We'll have to think, okay, why am I making that decision? But if we just keep going, mm-hmm. it's easy just to ignore any of that stuff that's here. So like, well, I just, I just went ahead with it. It's not a bad decision, but actually how challenging and yet liberating is it to actually in every decision we make to pause in the space of silence and solitude and go, God, this is what I'm thinking. What do you reckon? And just wait. Not play mental gymnastics with our analytical minds and our justification. We just go, God, what do you reckon? Because if there's a peace and there's a sense of yes in that moment, that can never be taken away. I remember with Neo. I vividly remember with Neo. 
come into God and saying, God, in the, in the very early days of it, saying, God, this is horrible, this situation is terrible. I believe that Neo should stay with us. But before anything else, I give that to you. Is that what goes? And just felt a sense of peace. And I actually felt God come back to say, do you want him? And I was like, I absolutely do. And in that moment, the, the, for me, the decision was made. No matter what we faced after that, it's like, well, I know why we're doing this. You can question my motives. You can attack why we're going after this. You can do all those kind of things. But I know, before God, that this is why we're doing what we're doing right now. And that is challenging to do when you desperately want something, but actually you want what God wants more. Because sometimes the thing we desperately want, God may go, actually, nah. And are we willing to go, not my will, but your will be done? But if we avoid silence and solitude, we probably don't ever have to do that. And yet we might never come into the, the, the beautiful wide open spaces that God leads us into. Because we'll go our direction and not his. So this, this, Jesus used the scriptures. Jesus surrendered himself to the will of the Father. And Jesus was also silent and gave the world, the enemy, the flesh, the silent treatment. Because so often in our modern society we are pushed to give an answer for something. We're pushed to, what do you think? You've got to say something. And that's part of our social media world, that everyone has to give an opinion on something. And that's right sometimes. I'm not talking about not speaking up against injustice. I don't mean that. But so often we can be pressed to say, well, what do you think? What do you say about that? What are you going to give an idea about that? And sometimes that can be the world system again saying, prove yourself. Tell me what you think. I want to know what you do. You you need to show why you're right. You need to show why your opinion matters. And I think we see in Jesus again, and this is one of the most clear examples of that, when in Matthew 27, when, he, when he's been arrested and he's with Pilate, and Pilate's talking to him, and it says, then he says this, but when the leading priests and the elders made their accusations against him, this against Jesus, Jesus remained silent. Don't you hear all these charges they are bringing up against you? Pilate demanded, but Jesus made no response to any of the charges much to the governor's surprise. That how hard is it sometimes to not step into the space of justification? But I, no, wait a minute, no, no, that's not fair. I didn't do that. But what, what about this? But, and I'm not saying that's never right. Sometimes that is important to do. But sometimes, sometimes it's going, I'm not going to play the game of this world system. I'm not going to justify myself so that you feel okay or that I look okay. I'm just going to trust God. I'm going to play the silent game and just not say a word. And in that moment of being silent and still, that's when we practice that. Jesus could only do this because he spent so much time in solitude and silence before that. He knew he knew that he knew that he knew where he was going. He knew why he was doing it. And therefore, it's like, I'm not, I don't need to answer these questions. I don't need to justify myself. I don't need to give an answer. Because I've faced this enemy already. In the silence and the solitude. I've faced that enemy already. And I'm not going to give my answer. He faced that enemy in Matthew 4. When the devil said, but if you're the son of God, do this. He faced that enemy in the garden when, when the, the flesh cried out and said, well, he said, not my will, but your will be done. 
gets to this point and goes, I don't, I don't need to answer. It's dealt with, it's done, it's finished. I know where I'm going. And this practice is perhaps the most challenging one that we face. Especially when we, please hear my terminology here, might not be the best terminology, but you understand what I mean. Especially when we do it right. I don't mean like, oh my goodness, I'm doing, doing this wrong. I don't mean like that. But I mean, if I'm engaging in silence and solitude with the intentionality of going, I'm going to encounter myself, I'm going to encounter the enemy, and I'm going to encounter God, rather than, I'm just going to get 10 minutes of just peace and quiet. That'd be nice. That, that's also fine, by the way. I'm not saying don't do that. But this is different to that. This is not that. This is, God, I'm here, and I want to encounter these things. Because I know that when I do, it has the potential to be the most transformative thing I do in my day. And I believe wholeheartedly, and it's important, in the reading of the scriptures daily, and prayer daily, and fasting weekly, and, and doing all those kind of things. They are really important, practicing Sabbath weekly. They're really important, and I'm, don't hear me wrong and think, well, Steve just said do this one, not the others. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying because of the nature of the way our world operates, I think sometimes silence and solitude is the most countercultural thing we can do. It's the most challenging thing we can do. And I think like the Desert Father said, it's that idea of we're not escaping from. We're escaping for. They were tapping into what they did and they went, right, we've seen the world that we're in. We're not running away from the world and making our own little convert over here just to be away and just keep ourselves pure and all that kind of stuff. That wasn't what they were doing. They were escaping for the world. They were like, we need to get ourselves into a space where we can actually do some serious business to see this world saved. And I would assume, knowing you all, that none of you are going to go and live in the desert. But what we can do, if you want to, might be quite cool. Um, but what we can do is we can practice that same thing they did daily by giving time to silence and solitude and saying, God, I'm here for the next five minutes. Or if you really want to go hardcore for the next seven minutes or whatever it may be. Again, I said before, but Mother Teresa practices for an hour a day. In a way, that doesn't sound like much, but that is hard. That is, that is difficult. I've not gone past 10 minutes yet. I've got a long way to go to get to an hour. But the point being that she did that because she said that if you do... Her, her feeling was when she was pressed on it, she said that is one of the keys to seeing a life transformed and seeing the world around us transformed. was her, her thing. And when she was pressed further, and this is challenging, when she was pressed further in an interview about it, she said, they, they, they're like, okay, that, that's cool. What does God say to you in that time? She's like, he doesn't. I just listen. And then she says, what do you say to God in that time? And he's like, nothing. He, he just listens as well. And they just created this space between them of just stillness and silence. Because that's what we do, don't we? You think about the people that are closest to you you are most comfortable with you can sit in their presence and not say a word mm. that's what she was talking about that he was so close to her that she could just sit in his presence not say a word and yet be transformed in that moment to do what she did 
and she, she not only herself was transformed into levels of compassion and grace and generosity that, that were just astounding, but it transformed her world around her. And it's not all to do with it, but a large part of that was silence and solitude. Because she wasn't escaping from the world, but she was escaping for the world. So yeah. Next week, we're going to look at encountering God, which I'm sure will be more comfortable than what we talked about today. But, um, but my encouragement, again, start with something that we can do. If it's two minutes, if it's three minutes, if it's one minute, it really doesn't matter. The point is that we intentionally practice it consistently for the next few weeks and see how it goes. And then maybe build it up over time. Mm. And maybe I'm not particularly deeply spiritual, I don't know. But I've gone from literally three minutes to five minutes and I've only just shifted to seven minutes. And I've been doing this for probably about four months. And that has been a, it's been a journey. Mm both to do it in the time but actually to keep it going and make sure I don't just push it to the side because it's the easy thing to go we all know it you've got a busy day it is really really hard sometimes in your head to go but right now I'm going to stop I'm just going to sit for seven minutes in silence that doesn't make any sense whatsoever that is the, the that's the thing to go isn't it it's like what I've got, I've got but if we can keep it there it's transformative anyway I'll stop talking but Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you for what you're working in us as we practice these practices. We thank you that it enables us to abide with you. And as we abide with you, we bear fruit. Because we're transformed and we bear fruit, not just in the good seasons, but in the challenging seasons too. Because our root is not in the season, our root is not in the moment, but our root is in you. To just help us with this practice, with this silence and solitude, to just do it, to, to take some time, to practice it, to, to put it into place in our lives, that it may cause us and the world around us to be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen.